I'm grateful to be here with you on the East Coast, and I love Jacksonville, and I love Jacksonville for a particular reason. It was June 22nd, 1986. I was about 10 miles down the road here in the Navy, and I'd come for some final training before I went off to Rota, Spain to fly with a search and rescue team in Rota, Spain, and God providentially um, saved me on June 22nd, 1986. I'd never, never gone to church. Um, I was a PK, a pagan's kid, and I kind of grew up just kind of doing my own thing. I wasn't looking for, for Jesus in any way, shape, or form, but God chose to, to save me uh, in 1986. Also, he chose to disciple me here um, in this city. Uh, my mentor sitting over here, Tommy Mallard, and I'm extremely uh, grateful for, for Tommy. Um, also, um, I got the opportunity to come back. Uh, Tommy offered an invitation for me to come back and help pastor where I met your pastor, Scott Yurka, and we had great times. Uh, Scott was doing the uh, students, and I was doing the, the college and singles, and we just had a wonderful time cutting our teeth in ministry, laughing our way through, laughing at ourselves, you know. Um, and now I get to stand before you. I just want to I state that because I want you to know that you never know whom you're going to talk to. And I was a lost Navy guy, um, just down Roosevelt Boulevard here, uh, living on the Navy base, and never gone to church in my life until someone was bold like yourselves and shared, cared enough about me and shared the gospel, and I responded. I'm so grateful for that 38 years ago. And so I stand before you this morning as your teacher, but I first want to testify of the glorious gospel uh, that saves, because it's highly unlikely that I would be here uh, in this pulpit on almost the same street that I was saved on June 22nd, 1986. So thank you for being faithful as a church and sharing the gospel. Please continue to do that because uh, there's uh, millions of me out there um, who would love to hear the gospel, didn't know anything about the gospel, and would be transformed. So thank you so much. Uh, tonight, let me speak to better men. This kind of whole weekend is d- dedicated to the guys, even though this morning is for all of us. Um, I've decided to uh, share with you this morning about the endurance of Job. We're going to stay in God's big book, the Old Testament, the entire uh, day. Uh, we're also going to talk about the guts of Benaiah, and then we're going to look at the wisdom of Moses. So we're going to stay in the Old Testament um, this morning as our theme, and I hope to see you tonight at 5.30 at the Better Man, because we're going to look at those two, the guts of Benaiah and the wisdom of Moses um, this evening. But for our time this morning, I've hand-selected Job chapter 1, all 22 verses in this narrative, uh, for your consideration. I've entitled our time this morning... Spiritual ruggedness, Job 1, 1 to 22, spiritual ruggedness. So take a copy of God's Word, join me, turn it on, join me there in Job chapter 1. And there's a number of reasons why I chose this account in the ancient text. And I want to give you a little bit of color because I want you to appreciate Job chapter 1. I really do. It, it's, it's one of my favorite texts and, and one I want to commend to you. And there's a number of reasons for that. First, Job is a model of spiritual ruggedness. I can commend him to you. He was tough as nails, as you're about to see. Uh, he gives us hope. I mean, there's, that's compelling on its own, um, that he's a model for us to consider. And so I commend him to you as such. Second reason, he explains... The hard question, 
Why do bad things happen to very good people? Job is good people. And why do bad things happen to very good people? Job gives us a biblical explanation for that. Third reason why I've selected Job is because of James, the half-brother of Jesus. James 5.11 references Job, and he, he asks the question, have you considered the endurance of Job? And so our topic this morning is endurance, biblical endurance or spiritual ruggedness. Have you, have you heard of the endurance of Job? That's, Job? that's what the New Testament says about Job. Another reason why I've selected this text is because it's the first book written, first chapter written under the inspiration of the Spirit. It doesn't, in chronology, find its way in your Bible in that way, but Job is the ancient text. It is the first chapter that was ever written some 4,000 years ago, and it's still riveting. It's still compelling. It's still relatable, and so I want us to consider this morning the endurance of Job. Another reason we're making our way to the passage. Hold on. Another reason is because I don't want you to waste your trials. There is no get out of trials free card in this life. And you will suffer and you will be persecuted and you will go through troubles. And it's important to see the stamina of Job, to see the endurance of, of Job. And I want you to not waste your trials. James said in James 1 2, that we can count it all joy when we go through trials. It's because we who we know, not the trial itself. And he says in James 1, 2, that the, the testing of our faith produces this virtue of endurance. And so for the men, we're going to talk about endurance. And for the ladies, we're going to talk about endurance. Because life is frail, and we all walk through this life with a limp. It's extremely messy. And we have to arrive at the place like Psalm 119, 71 states, where the psalmist wrote, it was good for me that I was afflicted. I don't know if you've ever uttered those words. The first time you utter them, they will lodge in your throat. It's extremely, extremely difficult to say. It was good. It was good for me that I was afflicted. And we are afflicted and persecuted for a variety of reasons. Sometimes because of our sin, right? We have Hebrews chapter 12, and there's the discipline of the Lord, and sometimes we do stupid things, and we get ourselves in a hot mess, and the discipline or the chastening of the Lord, it's an expression of His love, right? But it's still a tough thing to experience. Sometimes that's for that reason. Another reason is to minister to others. Sometimes you go through hardship in this life, so that, 2 Corinthians 1, that you will in turn minister to others. You'll be a more empathetic, more understanding, better counselor. You can share your experience and layer that on top of the scriptures. And it'd be powerful both in example and in exhortation of the scriptures. So sometimes you go through things for the express purpose that God's going to place you in a community, in a neighborhood, so that you can be a better minister of the gospel. Sometimes you need humility. That was the case with the Apostle Paul, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he had a thorn in the flesh. And sometimes, you know, you've got a, a little edge about you, sir, or ma'am, and uh, it's, you need a little humble pie. And uh, sometimes that happens in our lives. <clears throat> and then there is this, Job chapter 1. 
You're doing everything right, and there's some heavenly agenda that you are fully unaware of. You totally don't get it. You don't know why. Job is going to experience the most difficult day of his life. It's a single day, by the way. And it helps us answer the question, why do bad, bad things happen to really, really good people? Really, really good guys. As I transition to the passage, I just want to remind you that we are living in soft times. It's difficult times, and and soft times don't produce strong men. And that's the point of better man. That's the point of this Sunday we dedicated to you, uh, men and, and dads. And we, we want you to be tough as nails. Uh, we, we want you to be spiritually rugged. We, we believe, I believe, that you need to hear from Job this morning. And like James said, have you considered the endurance of, of Job? And I want us to consider it this morning. The way we're going to approach it is I'm going to read the first 12 verses. I'm going to come up short. And we'll complete the last verse set uh, in, in our last ingredient for spiritual ruggedness, okay? So let's read the text. Let's familiarize ourselves. We're kind of parachuting in. I know you've been in a series of, of Christology with Brother Scott, so I, I'm kind of coming and kind of T-boning you this morning a little bit. But let's, let's go to Job 1. Let's get the text in mind, and we'll get busy. Is that fair? Ready to get to work? All right, let's go. Here we go. Let me read the text. Job 1.1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God, turning away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and a ton of workers or servants so that This man was the greatest of all the people of the east, east of Palestine. His sons used to go and hold a feast in their house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their sisters to eat and drink and they'd party with them. And when the days of the feasting had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer uh, burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be, it's possible that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Job did this regularly. He did it continually. And then there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came in among them. The Lord said to Satan, hey, from where have you come? And Satan said to the Lord, from going, you know, to and fro on the earth and from walking about down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, hey, 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 have you considered my servant Job? But there's none like him on earth. He's blameless, upright, and a man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, yep, sure have. Does Job fear God for no reason, though? Have you not put this, like, sweet hedge around him and his house and all his businesses on every side. You blessed the work of his hands and his possessions, and man, you've increased his acreage. But I tell you, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and I promise you, he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand against him physically. It's chapter 2. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. 
The first ingredient in spiritual ruggedness is your ability to hold fast to your integrity. Hold fast to your integrity. The text begins by saying there was a man. He's an actual man. He's not Superman. He's a sinful man. He's an ordinary man. He's just like us this morning. But he was a man. He wasn't a fictitious person. James also talks about the man called Job. And then the text says he's from Uz. Uz is a kind of a desert community, but with green pastures leading up to the, the foothills in northern Arabia. It's right adjacent to Midian, where Moses spent 40 years in training in God's school of hard knocks in silence, waiting to be the leader of Israel. And it had plentiful pastures, and it butted right up against those foothills. Let's just suffice it to say life was good in us. I mean, it was, these were good days, you know, and, you know, they're out on Doctor's Inlet and on the boat. And in the first service, they were on a pontoon. But in the second service, they were on a wake surf boat. And um, you'll get that in a minute. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it's just, it was good. It was good days uh, uh, there in, in us. And the text then gives this remarkable resume, a description of what Job was like. It really, what it accomplishes, verse 1 accomplishes, is it sets the record straight that there's nothing in Job's life bringing upon some form of discipline or chastening in his life. There's nothing inside or outside of him. He is through and through a a man of God. And so verse 1 sets the record straight. He did not bring these trials on himself. I want to point out three attributes about Job in the first five verses here under this understanding of holding fast to your integrity. Number one, he was a spiritual man. The text states, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright. Blameless, unimpeachable. Didn't mean he was perfect. Didn't mean he didn't sin. But he kept short sin accounts, right? He was blameless, and it's what the leadership's expected to to live out. It's what all of us are expected to, to live out. He had moral integrity. He had a blemish-free character. There was nothing disqualifying in his life. <clears throat> and he kept these short sin accounts. He was upright. He, he kept on the straight and narrow. You know what I mean? He, he focused on, on, on the righteousness of Christ. He's not Superman. Keep that in mind as the backdrop. He's just a man, but he knew how to deal with his sin. And it then tells you how he did that. That man was blameless and upright, and he feared God, and he turned away from evil. It was the fear of God. That's what held his integrity, his his healthy fear of Almighty God, his high view of God. This explains it. He took God seriously. He took God when he spoke in his heart. He took him him seriously. God was at the center of his life. He had the fear of God, which, as Proverbs 1 says, is the beginning of wisdom. And also, he hates evil. He gets out of evil's way, much like Psalm 1 was written later and said, you know, you don't sit in the seat of scoffers. You don't get in the path of sinners. He just, he kind of of knew how to uh, avoid uh, sinfulness in those categories. And so, what you have is a beautiful picture of a man with a godly reputation. He was a spiritual man. Second thing I want you to see is that he was a serial entrepreneur. Much like some of you, he was a serial entrepreneur. The text would describe his wealth by numbering his livestock. In the agrarian culture, that's how it's done, either by acreage 
or by livestock. That's how you would manifest that he was the greatest east of Palestine. He was a very wealthy man. He had 7,000 sheep. So to put it in our modern vernacular, he owned Brooks Brothers. He would have a ton of wool. He would have beautiful tunics. He would have a closet full of tunics. So basically, in his portfolio, he had a Brooks Brothers. And then it says he had 3,000 camels. Well, that would be transportation. He had a large supply chain and transportation business and moving products all over the known world at the time. And he understood supply chain dynamics in his portfolio. And third, he had 500 yoke of oxen. He needed to feed 9,000 mouths, if you begin to do the math, right? And so he's got to, you know, he's got to sustain it. He's got to make food. He's got to provide for these people that are working for him. And then you have this odd one, 500 female donkeys. You're like, I mean, you're from the west side. You know, like 500 female donkeys. Like, come on, really? What are you doing? Well, coffee was not discovered until the ninth century in Ethiopia. Here is what they drank early in the morning. He owned Starbucks of Arabia. He owned the Starbucks. They would drink warm female donkey milk as their delicacy, their morning wake-up beverage of choice. And so he owned Starbucks. All of this is to describe that he's kind of a titan. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's got a portfolio. He's got all these businesses. I mean, he is crushing it. I mean, it is commendable for his effort. He had a garage full of chariots. He had a closet full of tunics. He had a refrigerator stocked full of the finest cuts of meat. And the text then says he's a man of renown in east of of Palestine. There's not anybody better. Like, he is absolutely crushing it. And then there's a third attribute I want to draw your attention to and Verse 4 and 5, and that's a family man. He's a family man. Not only is he a spiritual man, not only is he a wealthy man and a serial entrepreneur, he's a dutiful father. He's a family man. He was a good husband. He was a good father. And the text says he had seven sons and three daughters. Before Joshua ever wrote, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, that would have been a marker. That would have been over the doorpost of certain for Job. He was a dad's dad. He was a devoted dad. And you see Luke, uh, you see at uh, verse 4 and 5 what they would experience. And so on the day of their birthday, so let's just call it a family celebration or a family reunion. As you know, you've all been to family reunions. They can get out of control, right? Because we all have a crazy Uncle Buck. You may be crazy Uncle Buck here this morning, so this is for you. But um, you know, where you're like, as parents, you're kind of, after you leave the family reunion, you're spending most of your drive home debriefing. Like, that's why Uncle Brock did this, and he took his shirt off, and you know how he jumped in the pool. That was really awkward, you know, and he said some things, and so we all have those family reunions. Well, same is true of Job. His kids would get together, they'd get to drinking and partying a little bit, and there's a chance. I'm not saying they did, but there was a chance they'd sin and offend God or do say something stupid. And do something stupid. And so he wanted to expiate for them. He wanted to cover them. And so the next day he would get up and he would go offer up a burnt offering. Now, keep in mind, this is pre-sacrificial system. This is God putting this in his heart to do, to honor the Lord. He's just saying, if, if by chance my crazy son or my wild daughter gets out of control, I, I want to cover, please don't, don't, don't bring judgment on my family. It's similar to what you would do today, right, with your teenagers or sons and daughters. You'd pray over them as a dutiful father. You'd go into their room. I've done it many times when they're asleep, and I put my hands on them and say, Lord, keep my sons from being stupid. 
You know, because sin makes you stupid. That's just what it is. It just does. And, I, you know, and, and that's, it's the same concept. All of that is just to say he was very engaged. So he has this, like, serial entrepreneur, yet he's also this dutiful father. You know, he's, he's just crushing life, right? And so he loves his family. He wants to protect them. He doesn't want them to sin. He wants to give them a spiritual legacy. And so... This is the picture of someone who holds fast to their integrity. Your integrity matters, sir, ma'am. It really does matter. And, and, and it's going to be ground zero for him to be able to handle what he's about to experience. And so the first ingredient and in installment in spiritual ruggedness is your ability to hold fast to your integrity. He was dutiful. He was disciplined. He was a leader. I mean, just, he's the full package, right? He's the original goat, right? He's, this is Job, all right? And the text says, he did this all the time, folks. This is a rhythm of his life. This is a a pattern of of his life. Second ingredient, you need to hold fast to your theology, If you're going to be spiritually rugged and you're going to have endurance and spiritual stamina and moxie, you have to hold fast to your theology. Well, you notice how verse 1 started, there was a man. Look at verse 6. There was a day. This is a privilege, what you're about to experience. It's a privilege because you're going into the Holy of Holies. The angels will come and go. But on this day, Satan also joined them. It's a crazy scene that the filthy devil would be in pristine heaven, is it not? And so what you get is a little insight into how the devil works. It's a little devilology, and you start going, wow, like, hold on, what's going on here? And so the sons of God come, Satan also comes to present, as you know from Revelation 12.10, that he's the accuser of the brethren. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Fact, so does Satan, right? He has also a plan for your life, it's not wonderful, but he's this prodigal angel, a vagabond spirit, the tempter, the liar, the robber, the murderer. All these attributes are are labeled to Satan himself. He's real. He's fallen. He has direct access to God. Is that not the craziest thing you've ever read? It's crazy. And he's there to mock our commitment to God. He's there to question true saving faith. I love what Ray Stedman said about this picture here in 6 to 12. He says this, you can just see him saltering about, hands in his pockets, picking his teeth, a disdained look on his face, smoking a Marlboro Light, I added that, <laughs> awaiting an opportunity to accuse the believer. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a strange, strange picture, is it not, that the filthy devil there is having a conversation with a holy God. Now, God says, look at uh, verse 7 there, he says, Hey, where you been? Now, you got to hold fast to your theology. I hope you have enough theology to know that God's omniscient, right? He, he knew exactly where Job had been. He's not asking that question for the devil or for anybody that's in earshot. He's asking it for us this morning. Where have you been? Oh, I've been down on earth wrecking havoc in all these believers' lives on Fleming Island. That's what he's doing. Not just himself, because he's not omniscient, but he's got minions, right, doing his bidding. And God goes on the offense and says, hey, if you can, you know, where have you been? He said, oh, I'm going about, oh, Peter added to that color, did he not? Satan goes about like a what? 
roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Yeah, you're being hunted. That's the reality. This is why you want to, you look at the text and go, whoa, it, it's almost arresting. Like, what, what's going on? Okay? He says, uh, and then he goes on the offense. Have you considered my servant Job? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a wonderful testimony for you? Have you considered my servant Julie or Nick or Mark, Scott or Dan or Tommy? Have you considered them? Because they're crushing it and they're true saving faith and they won't buckle. And, Joe, and so the devil says, no, no, <laughs> you, they're only doing it because you bless them. He's killing it in business. He's got 10 kids. He's got a great family, a little crazy wife. Welcome to the world. He's a little crazy, you know, but still loves her. Um, All this is in play. And he says, Satan says, well, no, he's doing it because you are blessing him. You've drawn this hedge about him. Take away the hedge. Take away all the goodies. Take away all the good gifts. Throw in or mix in some hard gifts, and he'll He'll crumble like a house of cards. He'll, he'll cave. He'll quit. He'll buckle. He'll, he'll throw in the towel. He will not continue on. God says, I'll take that deal. Now, keep in mind, Job has no idea this conversation is going on. We're reading back into it 4,000 years ago. We're reading back into this ancient text. He didn't have any idea of what was going on in this conversation. And God says, have you considered Job? And and." You know that Job is just crushing it. And I'll tell you why. Verse 1 says he's crushing it. Then God says, have you considered my servant Job? But I'll tell you how you really know. You want to know how you know how strong he is? Look at 2.9. His wife. Does anybody know us better than our spouse, right? I mean, they see us every day. We wake up. I mean, they see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And look what she says about her husband. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? (laughs) That is powerful. That'll tell you that this is the real deal. This is like, this guy is is amazing. But Satan scoffs and doesn't believe it's true saving faith. And he thinks the comfort and ease is what's, he's like a spoiled child. Okay, he's like a spoiled child and he's, he's getting away with it. And also note that he needs permission from God to go. Nothing, look up, nothing happens to you that doesn't first go through the hand of God. Right? What appears, like Cowper said, what appears to be a boat behind a frowning providence is a smiling face. God's hard gifts and God's good gifts, all of it comes through God. And Satan's questioning that he doesn't have real endurance. It's only because you're blessing him. And he says, let me have a go at him. And God says, it's frightening. The last, verse 12, behold, all that he has, except touching him physically, all that he has is at your disposal. That is frightening. It could be true of you too. Because a lot of you guys are crushing it. I mean, you are honestly crushing it. And you're like, why is so much difficulty happening to good people and godly people And it's just shocking to see this conversation that's going on in the passage. It's unbelievable. And so he goes. Satan's premise, saving faith can be shattered. God's premise, 
You cannot undermine true saving faith. You will endure. The doctrine of endurance and, and spiritual ruggedness is in play for you if you love the Lord. And so God and Satan square off and poor Job is unsuspecting on what's going on. And it's a beautiful day. Sun shining. Life is good in us. Join me in verse 13. Third principle. Third ingredient. Hold fast to your worship. Not only do you have to hold fast to your integrity, your theology, but you also have to hold fast to your worship. And so there was a day, and they're gathering. Look at the text. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. Uncle Buck was there for sure. And there came a messenger to Job and said, Hey, oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. What? Are you kidding me? Yeah, the Sabaean terrorists were in the community. They had raided and killed all the servants, taken the oxen, taken the donkey, took out Starbucks, took out the ability to feed all these people that he's responsible for as, as kind of owner, founder, CEO. I mean, it's unbelievable. Are you kidding me? That really happened? Yeah, that's happened. While that guy's transitioning because he wants out of his presence, there's another knock at the door. And messenger of doom number two, verse 16, comes. Yet there came another and said, Oh, the fire of God fell from heaven. You're, any insurance people here? It's called lightning, right? An act of God. Fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. You're kidding me. Yeah, precision lightning. Satan is, is highly capable. With precision lightning, he takes out all of the, the sheep. That's precision. Consumed all 7,000 and kills them. And kills the servants. While he transitions, third messenger knocks at the door. While he's still speaking, the text says, there in verse 17, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. You are kidding me. Chaldeans, again, rough group, stole all 3,000 camels, supply chains cut off, futures washed up financially. And can you imagine trying to look for an employee base? We're currently living in the great resignation um, in our culture post this COVID mess. Can you imagine Job trying to find employees? Hey, if you go work for him, it's probably lethal. Because everybody's died. All businesses are wiped out. I mean, this is, the employee base is going to be tough to find. But you remember, Job's a serial entrepreneur. And I know some of those instincts. I've been around them. And I think Job would be thinking at this point, you know what, I can rebuild. And I think he'd probably utter something like this. At least I have my family, right? I got my, ten, my seven boys and my three awesome daughters and we'll rebuild, because he's crushed it. He's been building businesses, no big deal. We'll just start another company. We'll do something that maybe has a little, we'll de-risk it. Um, we'll invest in some, some companies. We'll do some, some bolt-on acquisitions, and we'll just, we'll reset. Reset. That's what serial entrepreneurs think. 
But at least I have my kids, right, dads? Look at messenger doom number four. While he was still speaking, this guy comes running in the room. He's out of breath. While he was still yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness. Remember, this pasture's leading up to foothills, so you've got warm air, hits cold air, and what you have is tornadic activity. With precision, Satan sends a tornado, takes out all four corners of the house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. I don't even have a category for losing one of my kids. I definitely don't have a category for 10. And some of you have had to do this, and it's shocking. So he's now lost his business and his family. His wife's sobbing. He's got 10 fresh graves, all 10. Now, one of these messengers is enough to buckle most of us. For some of you, 2008 was extremely hard, or 2021. I mean, it's enough to cause you to go, whew. It was a little rough. <laughs> this is all in a single day. All business, all kids. I don't know about you, but I don't. I'm having a hard time articulating how serious and how hard that would actually be. I mean, it is unbelievable. And multitudes, to be truthful, have turned their back on the Lord for far less, sadly. But there's this biblical doctrine of endurance that you hold up and he gives you grace sufficient for the crisis and he allows you to go through difficult things. There are his hard gifts. Nobody would want that or even ask that of anything like that in their life but they come and it's hard and you live in a Genesis 3 world and it's broken and then you have Peter kind of in your ear saying, hey, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you go through in this life. Ease is for heaven, not for now. Your theology is working, and you're holding fast to your integrity. You're holding fast to your theology, and honestly, you, you pillow your head on the sovereignty of God every single night in a crisis, don't you? I mean, if it weren't for the sovereignty of God that He knows you, and He knows your mailbox, and He knows your kids, and He knows your spouse, and He knows everything about you, and has allowed this to happen, if you didn't have that doctrine, you would be a mess. But there's a third ingredient, and one that's just beautiful. He held fast to his worship. Look at verse 20. It's, the text says that Job arose. Why was he getting off the ground? Because he was pummeled. He just lost his ten kids. That's why. It buckled him. You ever had that where you've gotten some really bad news and it just kind of weak knees you? I mean, it's, this, is, this is thick and heavy. And so he arose off the ground. He tore his robe, which would be a sign of contrition. And somehow, in a non-Gillette age, he shaved his head. The hair of a man was his glory. And he put a straight piece of metal to his head and was able to, you know, without shaking, but he was able to shave his head. How is that possible? 
And then it buckles him again. Look at the text. He fell to the ground. I think at this point, Satan's going, I told you so. I mean, Satan's on pins and needles. Here it is. He's going to cave. He doesn't have endurance. He doesn't have the moxie. He won't hold up under the, the, the trial. What's the next word in the text? He worshiped. If you don't have integrity and you don't have theology, you'll never do. You'll never do verse 20. It's impossible. His, he trusted the Lord. He worshiped. With every breath he had, what little he had left, he mustered up in him and said, I'm going to worship regardless. That's biblical manhood. It's not shooting a deer at 300 yards, although that's awesome. It's the ability to be a man of God in a crisis and lead through that like Job is doing before us. It was his reasonable act of worship. It's the only response he had. It's the only place he could go. And that's exactly the right place. He did not cease to worship. He had no church, no small group, no counselors, no Bible. He had nothing. That's the Spirit of God that would set down on his heart from time to time. He didn't understand it. He's not reading back into the text like we are now going, yeah, I can see where all of that worked itself out. No, no, he, he didn't have any of that. Unconditional worship. It was his second nature. It's, it was his response. It's just what he did. Look at his theology. Look at the next verse. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. I came into this world with nothing. I leave empty-handed as well. He said, the Lord's given to me. He recognized where the blessings came from and where they flowed from. And then the Lord has taken them away now. And he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. And Paul would later chime in, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Worship is ceaseless. It's unconditional worship. Everything was on loan. Came into this world empty-handed, he'll leave empty-handed. It's an unbelievable day. He was such a man of, of integrity, and he didn't stagger. He didn't stagger at God's hard gifts. And you know what? You'll never know sometimes why you went through things. It would be delightful that you'd get an answer and an explanation. I, I crave it when I go through enormous trials myself, and I think, why can't I know why? Why did that happen? And I probably not going to know in this life. Just the unknowables that are in the mix here. Some of you have lost children. Some of you are medically. I mean, it's not a day. You've been doing this for months. You've been struggling for months. And I just commend Job. And I think that's what James says. Have you, have you, have you considered, have you, have you taken a good long look at the endurance of Job as something to fortify you and your endurance? That you won't stagger. That you will be able to speak like the psalmist it was good that I was afflicted because without the affliction, I would have gone astray, right? Have you considered the endurance of Job? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. 
But look up here. There's a better Job. And that's the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus, sinless sacrifice for our sins. He died. The just for the unjust. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin for us. That's unbelievable. He shed his blood so that we might be reconciled to God. So this morning, I present to you Job and the endurance that he endured. Just like James. Let's pray together. Scott's going to come up in a moment to invite you to make a decision. So much uh, has been laid out in this text. What an example for us, an exemplar for us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the life of Job. Thank you for his example. Thank you for Jesus, who is a better Job. That we can run to Jesus and be saved and have our lives transformed. We pray now for this time that you would do a work in all of our lives. And we'd never forget this text. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.